0: Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Good morning and uh, welcome to Vital Point. It's good to see each of you here today. My name is Ron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Vital Point Church. And as Amy mentioned earlier, uh, we are a multi-site church, and we have services going on right now in Clinton and and Exeter, and uh, we're going to be launching uh, soon in the near future our fourth site in Forest. Uh, Before I jump into the content, I would like to reread the section that Amy read for us at the beginning of the service, but I'm going to extend it a little bit. I'm going to read a little bit more of that section for us. Matthew chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and, and they took his hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's a powerful section that we get to celebrate this morning. I remember the very first time that I realized that I couldn't fully trust the news. I know, it's a a shocker, but I remember it so clearly. It was about 20 years ago or so. I was at a leadership event in Chicago, and uh, President Bill Clinton was being interviewed in this uh, conference experience. I can now say I've been in the same room with him, but it was 5,000 other people as well, so it wasn't just me and him. Later that day, we were in the hotel room, we were with some friends, and we were watching the news, and they were giving an update on, the, on, on Clinton being at this event, and the news anchor set up the clip, played the clip, and I remember so distinctly yelling at the TV. That is not what he was saying. I was amazed. They had set it all up and used a clip that had nothing to do, and they took it completely out of context. And in that moment, I realized I can no longer trust the news. You know, it's hard for us at times to be able to tell what is truth, to find out what is accurate and what is not. We don't always know what is true and what we can trust because what has been happening for many of us is the ground of truth has been eroding out from underneath of us. And so there's an erosion of trust in our lives. This sometimes happens Instantly, in some cases, or sometimes it's a slow fade of an erosion of trust. Like, for example, maybe she told you that she's going to be with you until death do you part, and she sat you down and told you that she no longer wants to be with you. Or he promised to love you, and he's bailed on that, and he says he doesn't love you anymore. Your parents maybe sat you down when you were younger and told you that they were separating and getting a divorce and it crushed you. A coach said to you, you're a shoe in for the team. And when they posted the list of the team that made it, your name wasn't on it. Your review at work went so well. Your your review was fantastic. They said, you're doing great things. And a month later, there was some weird restructuring and they let you go. This one I hear quite often. The leaders at the church broke my trust, so therefore I can no longer trust the church. I've heard that one many times. Over the last few years, I'm convinced that our trust has been chipping away, erosion has been chipping away from underneath of us, and we, ha- we don't know how to trust anymore. We've become skeptical, cynical, and in some cases, our hearts have become very Hardened. When trust is repeatedly broken, it can be hard to find ourselves to trust again, even if we're pretty sure that what we're hearing is true. Like for this Easter message, for example, and what we've been experiencing for the last number of minutes, I know for some of us, you're doing a great job of listening. You're going to walk away from the service and you're going to go, That was a really good Easter service. I'm glad I went. But for others of us, it's going to be hard to hear the message because you've developed a rule of life that says, trust nobody but yourself. Trust nobody. You might even hear the whispers as I'm sharing these thoughts with you. Don't trust him. He's a pastor. Right? You might hear those little whispers deep down inside of you. My hope and my prayer is is that you will not just be great listeners of the things which we are about to walk through but you'll hear a whisper of a different kind the whisper of the one who loves you deeply and who gave his life for you When I read the account of the empty tomb I'm always amazed The two Marys approach the tomb that early morning brokenhearted like their hearts are broken they're weary they're exhausted I mean, they've just watched events go down just a few days prior to that where Jesus was crucified on a cross. They probably still have the image of the whip going across the back of Jesus tearing the flesh off of his back. They probably still have the the sound of that hammer hitting the nails going into his wrists and into his feet. They've witnessed the most agonizing, cruel death that anybody could ever go through they have that in the back of their minds as they even imagine and see the crown of thorns placed upon his head and the blood dripping down his face and the crowds cheering and mocking him. That is still ringing in the back of their minds. The two Marys, they they approach the tomb. They approach this tomb knowing perfectly well that they have witnessed something that has rocked them deep in their being. I would imagine for the, the early followers, like, these two Marys and others, it would have been hard for them. I mean, they had given up everything to follow Jesus, right? He invited them to go follow him, and they would turn their backs on their families and their work, and they said, Jesus, we're all in, and now he is dead. I'm sure that they had regrouped, and they looked at each other and says, I will never trust again. I gave my trust to this one, and now he's gone. So as the two Marys, they approached the tomb early that morning... Their trust is about to be rebuilt because as they approach the tomb, they hear a whisper of an angel early that morning that would ring out for 2,000 years. They approach the tomb and they're hesitant because they know the circumstances. They know all what is going on. As they approach the tomb, they see the soldiers lying there as if they were dead. Now, I kind of have this image in my head of those fainting goats. I don't know if you've seen those videos or not, but I, I laugh hard at these videos. Um, you see these little goats walking along. Have you ever seen, anyone ever seen this? Am I by myself on this? Thank you. Um, you know, the goats are going along, and there's a big bang noise, and they all kind of keel over, and the legs are all straight. This is how I see the soldiers, okay? <laughs> it's just how my brain works, um, I see the fainting goats, but then they hear the words, "He is not here, for He has risen." And He said, "Come and see the place where He lay." They show up expecting the tomb stone to be in front of the tomb. They expect to see and hear and think about what happened, but they get most unexpected news. The angel, I'm sure, is aware that these two have to rebuild their trust, right? So he says, hey, take a look. Stick your head in and see. They had pinned their hopes on the one named Jesus, and then they saw the empty tomb, the greatest news ever. Have you ever asked yourself why you should even trust the Easter news? Like maybe you're already someone who follows Jesus. Have you ever really thought about why you should trust this news? Or, or maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're just new to church today, and, and you've never really considered this question. Should you even trust this news? And what I mean by trust is not simply just the intellectual knowledge of this might being true, but I'm talking about trusting in a way that you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ as you did when you sat in that chair. You put faith in that chair that it was going to hold you. That is the trust that I'm talking about, that you can sit back in this truth. See, I think it's an important question to ask ourselves this Easter, because I don't want you to kind of do a blind leap of faith into something that may not be true. I don't want us to kind of enter into this just blindly saying, okay, I'm in. No, there is things that we need to examine and talk about to help ourselves begin to lean into and fully trust that this can be true. So let's jump in. Let's talk about this for a few minutes as to why you should trust in Jesus. First thing you need to know is, embrace yourself, I don't know why I said that, I just wrote it here, I guess, brace yourself, Jesus said it was going to happen. Look earlier in, in Matthew 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and, they, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. I love this. I love this moment as Jesus is with his disciples, as he is teaching, as he is leading them, he sits them down and he says, listen, you need to understand the son of man, me, I, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. And the last time I checked, he's the only one who's ever predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. You can Google it if you want. I mean, the reality of this truth that Jesus actually predicts this and pulls it off is evidence enough that Jesus is not just some other religious figurehead. He is God in the flesh. There's this writer of the New Testament named John, and he wrote this thing called Gospel of John. John chapter one, he starts right at the very beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word, for Jesus, the word here is Jesus. It's grounding us in this truth that he was just not some religious fanatic. He was not just some great teacher or storyteller. He was literally God in the flesh because in verse 14 of the same section in John 1, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Now, we got to loop back to Christmas because some of you haven't been here since then. I'm just having fun with you, okay? I love that you come at Christmas and Easter. It's great. I I feel like I'm maturing right in front of everybody, right? I'm looking at my wife. She's like, don't do this. Don't do this. We go to Ireland tonight, so I can say whatever I want. I'm out of here for 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. Drop the hammer and head to Ireland. Um, See, this is really, Emmanuel, it's it's God with us. The idea of dwelling is that he pitched his tent amongst humanity. It means that when he stepped into humanity, he left the eternal realm, took on flesh and blood, got trapped in time like we are, and stepped in as the Son of God, the eternal one, who would shed his blood for us so that we might have forgiveness of sins. He says, I'm going to be... I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, and I will rise three days later, and he pulled it off. And he pulled it off in order to conquer sin and death so that we might have life. See, the line, he is here, he is not, he has risen, whispered early that morning changed everything. Everything. Because when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he crushed the power of hell under his feet, breaking the power and the pull of sin, which is death. The news of the empty tomb was first told to the two Marys that would then ring out for 2,000 years. The very fact that we're sitting here today in this moment celebrating the empty tomb is evidence enough for me that you can trust this news. It's gone out. No, no, you're like, but wait, Ron. Ron. What about all the other world religions? Like there's a lot of other world religions out there. Could we you know, and that's a good question. We actually need to examine this. I had a conversation with someone who's really wrestling with the message of the Christian faith and she said, "Well, what about all the other all the other uh, faiths out there?" And I said, "That's right. There is a lot of others. Have you been studying that?" No, I've not. Well, okay. I mean, there are, like Hinduism came around 1500 BC. You've got Buddhism, 563 BC. You've got Islam that came around 600 years after the church was born, which is about 622 AD. They shifted from worshiping Jesus to Muhammad. But here's the interesting thing about the Christian faith. It did, yes, emerge around Jesus around 30 AD. But what we must understand about the narrative of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is that it was part of God's original redemptive plan to restore humanity and creation back when sin interrupted creation like an atomic bomb. This is the key. God made the promise that he would take care of this issue. When sin entered into this world in the Garden of Eden, sin entered in and destroyed everything, brought death. But out of God's kindness, out of God's love and compassion and grace, he initiated a plan that would restore humanity to himself, that his redemptive plan would come through the person of Jesus Christ. It was not a request of human beings. It was God initiating this on our behalf to take care of our brokenness and our wounds and our pain and our hurt. And it was accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. We see it right in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is literally God saying back there, he's speaking to the serpent, which is the representation of evil in the Garden of Eden. He's saying, I'm gonna take care of you once and for all. This is the great news. It's not something that just came out of thin air. It is something that God initiated for us in order for us to be in a right relationship with him, right? It is not something that we can earn or strive to get. That's why earlier in that verse it said, full of grace and truth. It's the grace that he offers to us, giving us something that we do not deserve. Jesus is the promised key to the house of God. The life, death, and resurrection is the way that God showed us his love, that while we were apart from him, he did everything to get back into relationship with us, including dying on a cross. I'm not sure if you're even convinced of that. He did it in order to demonstrate his love for us and his desire to be in relationship with us. Because of our sin, it separates us from him. But when he walked out of the tomb, remember, he said, I will rise three days later, and he pulled it off, giving us the truth of who he is and what he came to do. Now, I don't want you to trust yet, okay? I I just want you to hold off, because if you are not clear on what this actually means, it's possible that you will build your understanding of the Christian faith on a faulty foundation if you're not clear on what this means, okay? Okay? What this means is this, the very fact that he walked out of the tomb and conquered sin and death is the proof that we can now have a relationship with God. But here is the thing that is so key to this, is that when we trust, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is we end up getting what is called a new identity in Christ that we begin to experience a fuller aspect of faith, not, not in a religious way, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship with him, we get a new identity in him, grounded in the person of Jesus Christ, rooted in God's love. See, the reason why I wanted to express this to us today on this Easter Sunday is because sometimes we have a faulty understanding of what the resurrection actually means. See, we look at this and we say, okay, good, I'll pick that one. It's almost like you're choosing a vehicle. And then what happens is you trust in Jesus Christ. I've talked to lots of people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and then just a few months later or a year or two later, they go to me, I tried him, he didn't work. It's because we have a faulty faith foundation. See, the reality of this is that our identity is found in Jesus Christ And our identity is perfect in him. Look at what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become new creations in him, new creatures in Christ. This is such a powerful truth that he resides in us. And this means that the Spirit of God brings us to life. Like, I wanted you to think about this. When Jesus was lying in the tomb, he had had died, and they placed him in the tomb, he would have had to have taken his first first breath. (gasps) And that first breath came through the power of the Holy Spirit. When someone by faith trusts in Jesus, there is this... Spiritual experience where we are what is called reborn, and this new identity becomes ours. You don't get to choose your identity. No one tells you what your identity is. It is found in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Ah, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our spirit is reborn and perfect in Christ, but our souls are a little bit messy, right? A little bit messy, There's a lot of pain in there, there's hurt in there, there's abuse in there, there's mistrust in there, and we carry all this stuff. But what we must understand in our identity in the verses in Christ means this, that yes, our past is our past, but our past no longer defines our future, It's our future in Christ that we're drawn towards, and that image of Jesus Christ is what we move towards. So therefore, we are in transformation in relationship to Jesus Christ. But the great news is this. It's not in our own power. It is the same power that brought Jesus back to life, and he walked out of that tomb. It's ours. See, if you have a faulty foundation... Am I being chirped? Did I miss something? Okay. I hear nothing other than buzzing noises up here, so. So it's the reshaping of our souls and the transformation of moving towards our identity in Christ. There's this uh, great quote that I found in this book called Soul Care. Working out your identity is learning to become who you already are. The battle for your identity is a critical part of your spiritual maturity. So Jesus Becomes our identity in Christ, and we're now in our relationship with Him, moving towards our identity in Him. Therefore, the things in our lives, the pain, the sorrow, the brokenness, all, you know, the mistrust, is the soil in which we become transformed and we move forward into Christ. Learning to become who we already are. It's the transformational process. So, can you trust the news? Can you trust the news? Can you trust that the tomb is empty? Can you trust that Jesus walked out of that tomb some 2,000 years ago? I would say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And not just because of the intellectual knowledge of it, but I believe that you can because I have personally experienced this and I have watched literally hundreds of people embrace this news as well, if not thousands. You can trust it. You can have your trust rebuilt. The two Marys, when they decided for themselves to look into the tomb and then to turn and to walk away, they walked away with their trust being rebuilt, but it wasn't until they encountered Jesus that they fell at his feet and worshiped him. You know, we've been praying for weeks, for this moment right here. Weeks. And I know for some of you, this is a, a, a reset or a return moment of faith for you. Others of you, this is your first step of faith. This is your first moment where you're going to say, Jesus, I trust in you. See, we have been praying that Jesus will encounter you today, or you will encounter him. See, the two Marys, as they're going along about going to tell the disciples that the tomb is empty, Jesus steps in the path, and they fall down, and they worship him. See, I am convinced it's the only response. And it's not about trying to fit him in with everything else that we do. No, it is about inviting him in, and submitting to him, and worshiping him with every bit of our being. That yes, there's going to be times and seasons where it's a little bit tougher and difficult and wonky and weird, but there is a sense that we are being realigned, that there's a remnant of the church that is being reignited and there's a fire that is burning bright inside. See, the moment that Jesus walked out of the tomb is the moment we see God's promise that he would take care of our sin and death so that we can have life and life to the full. So can you trust this good news? I think you can trust it because Jesus was willing to pay it all for us. He gave of his body, he gave of his blood, and he was buried and three days rose again. So by faith, we can say, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you.